1: Well, the search is on for a new GM head coaching combo for the Chicago Bears. We talk about it tonight here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio six seventy the score. It's brought to you by IGS Energy. Good to be with you once again. I'm Jeff Jonagak with Tom Thayer, my broadcast partner from News Radio one oh five nine WBBM and our producer tonight, Sean Anderson. Thanks as well to Dan Brilly and Jordan Treadup. Tom, good evening. How you doing?
2: Big Jeff, uh, there's been a lot going on the last couple of days. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm glad they're in the process early. I hope they can get themselves in front of the best candidates possible for both positions, GM and head coach. Let each other sell each side and see who they can come into a, the, the the best possible football people agreement they can.
1: Well, I think there's probably a strategy to it with uh... – The people involved on that committee, and namely uh, George McCaskey, with with the help obviously of a Hall of Fame general manager in his career, uh, Mr. Polian, as to what the chemistry might be between the candidates for head coach. And I believe I think there's nine of those, or I might have it swipped But there's like 20 people involved here, so you're trying to get the best chemistry with the head coach and general manager. How it how it all plays out, I mean, the thinking is it'd be best you hire a GM first. You can have a, a little bit of a say here in the head coach. Uh, and this is what they're trying to find out right now. These initial interviews of coaches, Tom, are all Zoom interviews. If they really like him, if it's impressive and there's a mutual attraction here, they're going to be invited back at Hallis Hall.
2: Yeah, you know, Jeff, you have to ask yourself, though, which side of the ball and who are you trying to attract the most? Because obviously if you're looking at a defensive candidate for the head coaching positions, then you got to start thinking about the defensive line, Roquan Smith, Robert Quinn, Jalen Johnson, and the rest of the defensive backfield. If you're looking at an offensive guy, what is his immediate philosophy with Justin Fields? And I think that's really something you have to research in depth because if you're going to have success over the next five to ten years with the quarterback position, it's because you have a guy with the traits of Justin Fields and you got to see how that head coach candidate on the offensive side of the ball is formulating a plan that involves Justin.
1: Jeff and Tom with you here on Bears All-Access brought to you by IGS Energy. Coming up on tonight's show at around a uh, few minutes from now, actually, 6.08, we'll be joined by former Bears quarterback and current co-host of Sirius XM NFL Radio's Jim Miller from Moving the Chains with Pat Kerwin. And then uh, near the bottom of the hour, joined by the Hall of Fame NFL writer from The Athletic, Dan Pompei. Uh, interviews announced by the club today, Tom. We know one of them, Champ Kelly, uh, a real a guy who's always got a smile on his face up at Hallis Hall. Super optimistic guy, assistant director of player personnel the last two years, uh, and prior to that two years as director of pro scouting. So he earned himself a promotion here during this four-year run. Uh, he's got a lot of great insight to the locker room, very close to players, always has been. Uh, he's He's always talking to players at practice, three, four games. He's got a great connection to the locker room.
2: Yeah, he knows the building. He knows how to get in and out. He knows kind of the uh, setting behind all the scenes and of the elements of a successful franchise that you want to be able to put on the field and com- compete with. So Champ has uh, paid a lot of dues, and I'm glad that he's getting an opportunity to sit in front of the Bears' um decision-makers and get a get an interview and, and present his case. He's interviewed
1: with uh, Carolina and Denver last year, and then before that in 19, before the Jets hired Joe Douglas, he uh, interviewed with the Jets. Also, uh, Cleveland Browns, vice president of football operations. Kwesi, Adolfo, Mensah. Hope I said that right. Um, this is an intriguing candidate, uh, super bright guy, not a football background. He was a Princeton basketball player turned commodities trader, He started working for the 49ers back in 2013 in their research and development department, joined the Browns in 2020, interviewed for the GM job at Carolina last year. Another uh, intriguing guy. I know what's going to happen. He's going to get lumped into the analytics angle to it, and that is a part of it. Uh, And without a football background in terms of playing it or where he started from, there's going to be some thought about that. But he has now been with two organizations And people thought of him enough that he's a candidate.
2: You just have to look at the players that he's instrumental in picking, the guys that he scouted, maybe some of the free agents that he was interested in bringing into the program. And I think you can can learn a little bit about the candidate by the types of athletes attract their attention.
1: And yesterday they interviewed another Browns front office guy, Vice President of Player Personnel Glenn Cook, also interviewing Doug Peterson. Coming up next... Jim Miller joins us here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome back, everybody, to Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer with you. Good to have you alongside and pleased to be welcomed by our good pal, Jim Miller, a special guest each week during our uh, off season, I guess this is the off season. Far from it, though, Jim. So much going on. Uh, just uh, before we get your uh, overall thoughts on uh, on the collection of uh, candidates and what we've already seen interviewed here, what were your thoughts on uh, the decisions made by by George McCaskey, chairman of the board and the Bears organization?
0: Yeah I think everybody kind of felt it was was heading in that direction from you know the offensive standpoint you got a young quarterback and it just it hasn't looked right the the past uh, few years or growth in that area you know you're still calling timeouts uh, you know not getting lined up in in things of that uh, that nature and you know I just think uh, they felt a, a move needed to be made and you know from the growth process from whether it's Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky, and who had a winning record, and he moves on, and and now Justin Fields, uh, I think they felt it was time to make a change. They've got a great resource and obviously a Hall of Famer and Bill Pulling, uh, to to help them out from from this. But there's a lot of candidates, like you said, this is covering a, a wide net here to try and find the 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 right guy. Now, is it going to be a first year coach? Will it be a more established guy? And you know, there's, they're kind of covering all the bases here of what they're searching for uh, right now to come up with the right general manager and, and head coach. And good to be with you guys, as always.
2: Hey, good, Jim. Good to be with you also. So, Jim, would you like to see a general manager first, then allow him to have a, a little bit of, uh, you know, input on the head coaching position? Or would if there was a head coaching candidate out there that was super attracted to the skills of Justin Fields and what Darnell Mooney and Cole Kmet? Uh, Dave Montgomery, Khalil Herbert can offer you or even if you are on the other side of the ball and a guy came in here and said, look, I can turn Roquan Smith into a defensive MVP candidate and I think Jalen Johnson's a good starting point in the defensive back. So first of all, you think it's GM before coach and do you think the other elements are enough to help make that decision
0: yeah they're all different kinds we see guys that are kind of involved in all of it and Bill Belichick and and obviously Andy Reid I I don't think that'll be the case in Chicago I think you're right I think it'll be a symbiotic relationship with the uh, the general manager and the coach that are that are on the um, on board together working together because I think that the last thing you want to go through is like what the Giants just went through here Dave Gettleman retires then they have, you know, they kind of leave Joe judge hanging out in the wind and they start interviewing general manager, uh, candidates. And what does the general manager say? Uh, I'm bringing in my own coach and here's the reasons why, you know, and, uh, you know, and they'll go through their list of what they liked or didn't like about uh, Joe Judge, and then, lo and behold, Joe uh, uh, Judge is or Joe Judge, excuse me, is is relieved of his duties, and then uh, John Mara and, and Steve Tisch come out and say, yeah, our general manager is going to choose our next head coach. So I think you do want it to be a symbiotic relationship because you you just don't want it it you know stair stepping. You know, you think about when I came in with uh, when Dick Geron came in. The Bears didn't have a general manager in place, and then Jerry Angelo comes on board, and they, they kind of were never, you know, I, I think they worked well together, but I don't think they were always eye-to-eye because normally the general manager does come first if you want the traditional style of how things are done in, in the NFL. If it's more of a veteran coach, they, they're probably going to have more input uh, from that standpoint, but I, I think the Bears are going to go with the more traditional style of things.
2: You know, Jim, even outside the Bears, is there any other college candidates other than Jim Harbaugh that will get consideration or a look-see or maybe even evaluated or interviewed? Or is he, is he like the, the top guy in college that is has programs looking at him and is he looking at programs?
0: Yeah, I think he's definitely looking at programs. He even said that to a recruit that, uh, you know, the he would be interested if the NFL came calling again, and his name has been out there. Um I, I don't know, man. I think you look at Urban uh, Urban Meyer, I, I think he just set back college coaches about five years. You know, you would think Lincoln Riley, a lot of teams have courted him, um, but with him taking the job that he did, you would think he's out. You got Marvin Lewis back there at Arizona State, obviously. Um, I think he would be a, a consideration or even right there close to home. You know, it's been rumored and talked about would Pat Fitzgerald – be a guy that uh, whether I think Green Bay uh, had looked at him a couple of years ago, would the Bears be interested in that? And uh, But I, I think from the Kyle's level, it's kind of cooled off with the Urban Meyer uh, situation. But I would think Jim Harbaugh definitely has the leverage with how he performed this year at, at Michigan. There, there's no doubt about that because he can come with a package, right? Uh, I know coaches that have already called Vic Fangio to add him to his staff. You know, he had a lot of success out in San Francisco with Vic Fangio as his defensive coordinator, and I would think uh – you know, he could come with a pretty good D.C. right away if he makes a phone call.
1: And Jim, one of the candidates today, uh, Jim Miller with us here on Bears Hall Access with Tom Thayer. Jeff Joniak, we're brought to you by IGS Energy. Choose clean energy for your home at IGS.com because every good choice adds up to a better world. Uh, what do you know about Cleveland Browns vice president of football operations, Kwesi Adolfo Mensah? He interviewed for the Carolina job last year. He was with uh, Vic at the end of Vic's stay in San Francisco as part of their yeah. research and development project.
0: Yeah, no, he's highly respected. Like I, I believe he, he doesn't really have a football background. No. So the, the analytics side of it, not that he doesn't know uh, players and strengths and, and all those things. I think we know uh, you can grow in, in those areas. Um, but the other names that I, that I know of that are really qualified guys, obviously you're going to point out Jeff Ireland you know, you have to point him out, not only the picks he made for Miami, but what he's done for the New Orleans Saints. Omar Khan of Pittsburgh, that that, that is a very good candidate, uh, I will say from, from that standpoint. Um, but, you know, it depends on what you're looking for. Say Detroit last year, when they tapped into the Rams uh, and Brad Holmes, Brad Holmes basically conducted the last eight drafts for the L.A. Rams, and you just look at how aggressive he was for Detroit right away. He trades away Matthew Stafford, acquires a lot of assets, and you know. And granted, their season was for not, but he drafted pretty good this year. Penny Sewell and the guys that they played all played right away uh, for for that team. So you know, you're looking at those type of things a, a, as well as how guys can identify talent and and go and get talent to to acquire and build your football team and. You know, there's some guys that have done that that they're they're looking at, and again, it'll have you know. Bill Polling comes with as a great resource. He has uh, um, talk
1: talk about that a little more because obviously he's a part of your family there at SiriusXM. Yeah. Heard him last night on the radio, and he's done a lot over the years at ESPN yeah. and and, and stayed involved. It very I, I hear his connections and his passion for this is off yeah. the charts. He's he's connected for a lot of these
0: search interviews, whether it's at say. Notre Dame or ever, other colleges that are recommending coaches, or at the NFL level, a lot of people, t- uh, you know, tap him as a resource. He has a huge rolodex where he can tap into what he believes could be a, a good fit for your, for your football team. And he's had some disciples of his go on. Some have done well. Some haven't. You know, you look at David Caldwell down there for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That did not go well. But you'd have to say Tom Telesco. That's not bad out there in in LA Chargers land. Right. Uh, You know, they identified their quarterback and Justin Herbert and all those type of things. So very well respected, uh, very deep in terms of his uh, uh, Rolodex and who he can tap into. And he knows a lot of people that really can steer organizations in the right direction. And I know for a fact the Bears have have had other calls placed to them um, that have given him good, really good advice of potential candidates.
2: Jim, let's look at the Bears over the next two years because you think about a new general manager, new head coach coming in, what the record was at the end of this year, and then you think of the limited amount of draft choices they have with a complicated – uh, the salary cap issues, and then next year. So does is the pressure start for the GM next year and almost he has to get through this year and gets value out of the limited amount of picks he has, or mm. you think it's immediate, like the the pressure starts the day before he gets to the job? Yeah,
0: I think there's always pressure. You know, free agency is going to be big. Like you said, can you parlay more picks uh, from that standpoint when you can strike a deal uh, with another team? Um, and I just think the development of these young players, I think we're all aware that we feel pretty good about the tackles. We feel good about the, uh, the young quarterback. you feel good about you know where Roquan Smith's uh, career is at. They have Darnell Mooney. I mean we'll get into these players that you know a lot of people are excited about uh, that, that the Bears are, are young in certain areas, but uh, I think the development of those players is going to be crucial and I think that's where uh, the head coach, his staff, all those really play in, you know, you know, come to come to the fold of how those players are going to de- be developed. Because you're not getting rid of all these players. This isn't like Houston last year where they signed 48 free agents. That's not happening in Chicago. Um, so I do I do think those are going to be critical areas that the Bears are going to uncover. And it's just. You know, do you trust a first-year coach to, to be the guy to do that? I, I think th- those are some areas where the Bears have struggled, where you go through those growing pains with a first-year head coach and, uh, you know, our first-time coach, I should say, in the NFL. And, you know, I, th- I think you're seeing the, the brunt of that with some other teams that are already going in a different direction where they probably feel, eh, we need a little bit more experience. I'll, I'll use Joe Judge as an example again. Was that really the best move to h- fire Jason Garrett? How did, how did their offense look after he left? It looked atrocious. I mean, atrocious. So, I mean, those are the things you got to be leery of. And is a veteran guy more the the way you want to go, or is somebody just going to blow your socks off that you say, man, uh, this is our Mike Tomlin type of interview. This is going to be our guy for the next 15 years, we believe. I think it would take that type of candidate to really choose a a first-time head coach.
2: Jim, I've been waiting to ask you this all season, and it's a completely different direction away from the Bears right now. But I, you hear a little, a lot about the uh, the roster of coaches that are going to be coaching the Senior Bowl and everything. Does the new um, money making nil nil agreements for the college players does that um, take hurt your roster or does it not affect your roster for the Senior Bowl? I
0: wow, that's a great question. Because I still think for this year, it's not going to affect the roster. Here's why. Because, you know, COVID and everything, you know, you think of all the opt-outs. I mean, players were begging to play in that game because that really was the only game that was available for them to put stuff on tape, you know. And it still was an issue this year at the college level. Um, So I still think players will want to be in that game. You know, 90% of those players that go down there get drafted. And in my opinion – if you do go down there and and play and perform in the practices during the week, you can increase your stock anywhere from one to two rounds. So I still think it's a very attractive game that you're going to want. And we've seen quarterbacks do it, right? Carson Wentz goes down there. Philadelphia trades up to number two to pick him. I mean, you look at some of the quarterbacks that have been picked. Who has been hurt going down there to play as a quarterback? Did Daniel Jones get hurt? He got picked 16th overall. And Everybody's like, dude, the guy played at Duke. He's sees nothing. And he went you know, 16th overall to, to the Giants. So I, I think if I'm a player, I'm playing in that game. I'm playing in that game, and I, I don't care what my agent says.
1: That's Jim Miller, Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer with you. on Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Uh, the Texans move of David Cully's dismissal today. It's drawn a lot of very strong opinions and criticism. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people felt that You know, he was thrown into a lot of bad circumstances. But I think he had an understanding of of what was going to happen. I I do think Nick Casario, the general manager, he was waiting on a certain candidate. And some are speculating it's it's Brian Flores. I do not think it was Brian Flores because he took the job as GM when Brian Flores already had a six-year contract in in Miami. So I do not think that is Brian Flores. Now, Gerard Mayo, um, Josh McDaniels you know, potentially, I, I would think there. And I think from what I understand, you, you look at uh, Gerard Merrill may have the inside track there. But I, I think, you know, David Culley was under no delusions of grandeur. He's a 20-seer. I was with him in Pittsburgh. He was our wide receivers coach. No, David, he's, he's tremendous. But I, I think he was under no delusions of grandeur. And if anything, the situation he was put in is probably people are coming away giving him more pelts on the wall with what he dealt with. I mean, they were playing literally all their young players, Davis Davis Mills, the young quarterback who they drafted in the third round out of Stanford. All those young players were playing, and David came on serious not even a week and a half ago and was raving about it. He said, hey, our young players are playing well. Nobody even thought they'd win four games. So I think he overachieved with the one-year opportunity he had down there in Houston.
1: And he uh, bankrolled quite a bit of money, so that's the good news about it, and he'll he'll find his way somewhere else. Uh, And the... The Baltimore Ravens get compensatory pick last year. They get another third-round comp pick this year because a team hired a minority only to uh, find him leave and be dismissed in Houston. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Dan Pompey of The Athletic. We'll talk about a number of topics, including uh, what's, what's up with the potential Hall of Fame first ballot, Devin Hester? That'll be one of our topics. Coming up next here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy. Visit athletico.com to request an appointment in clinic or virtually and start feeling better tomorrow with Tom Thayer, Jim Miller, Jeff Joniak. Pleased to be joined by our good pal from the Athletic, the Hall of Fame NFL writer, Dan Pompey, who's going to be quite busy here in the next few weeks. Not only chasing these stories about uh, who's next and where and why, but also the Hall of Fame with uh, Devin Hester on that list of 15 finalists. Dan, good evening. How you doing?
3: Good evening, Jeff and Tom and Jim. Good to be with you guys tonight. You know, it seems like uh, once the regular season gets over, uh, the action really begins sometimes, right?
1: Yeah, you're, n- you're not you're not wrong about that, that's for sure. Uh, you penned a great piece in The Athletic. Uh, your thoughts on what the Bears, in your opinion, should be looking at in terms of types of coaches and, more importantly, what do you want the team to look like, what the identity is. And it begins with toughness. And I know you and I have had these talks many times. And we share a common belief in that. I know Tom does as well. I'm assuming Jim does as well. Because I've said this routinely. And attempts have certainly been made to do this. But it should reflect what the franchise's history is and what the city they play in is like. And this city loves rough and tumble. Rough and tumble football. And uh, that's kind of been your theme here in this article that you wrote this week tell us more about it and your opinions
3: well you know i think uh when you look at the bears now uh as a matter of fact i was talking with another front office executive about an hour ago about this and uh he said i don't know who they are i don't know what their identity is and i said yeah i don't either i don't think they know you know i think they kind of lost their way and uh You know, a lot of it is kind of the offensive design, uh, but some of it's just the the team construction. Um, You know, the the Bears' history, I think, is a great blueprint about what they can be, what they should be moving forward. Um, But, you know, if you look at the league realistically, everybody says, well, it's it's a new era. You have to pass the ball. It's all about the quarterback. That's all fine and well when you've got Aaron Rodgers, you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Tom Brady. You know, For the other 29, you better find another way to do it because you can't create those guys. And unless one of them falls into your lap, you're gonna have to find a different way to win. And the different, what, the different way to win, what you can create is toughness. You can create big and physical and mean and nasty and, and go bloody their lips. And the Bears have done that repeatedly throughout history. You know, if you look at teams like the Ravens and and the Steelers, they do it year after year, era after era, no matter who's in charge of the team, no matter who the players are. And I I really think that the Bears need to get back to that and stick with that forever. And and if they ever end up with an Aaron Rodgers, you know, then they can worry about how to alter things at that point.
2: You know, Dan, in your article you talked about the Bears developing the middle linebacker position and the other traits of toughness they've shown throughout their history. But you have a long exploration in their history with the 100-year anniversary book that you and Don Pearson wrote and the, the, the amount of uh, sidelines you spent at training camp and such. So where is your immediate attachment to what era, what what type of football team I mean, I mean, is it something as obvious as the '85 Bears, or is there even a history before then that you would go back to?
3: Well, yeah, Tom. I think you know, there's a lot of uh, eras or teams that you look at in the Bears' history that you say, you know, you can build a team like this. I mean, the great thing about what Jim Finks did in the uh, late '70s, early '80s is he said, "I'm going to build the Lions first. and he he made some some great defensive and offensive lines, of course, which you were a big part of. And, you know, he invested in those lines. And then he said, we'll worry about the other things later. And the other things came, and they were great too. And, of course, there was great coaching. It was the perfect storm, and everything came together. You know, if you go back to the time before that, when the Bears were a championship team in the 1960s, early 1960s, you know, 1963, it was pretty much the same thing. You know, it was all about that... Defensive line, great pass rush with Doug Atkins and Edo Bradovich. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they they had a, a, a one of the all-time great defenses. Some people still think the 63 defense was better than the 85 defense. And, um, you know, with the exception of the one time in their history in the 1940s when they were kind of offensive-dominated because they had uh, this revolutionary offense with, uh, Sid Luckman in the T-Formation, you know, the Bears always have been a team that tries to beat you with defense and toughness, and um, I think, uh, like I said earlier, that's a that's a great way for them to move forward with that in mind, you know, let's run the ball, let's play defense, let's play special teams, you know, the resurgence that they saw in the 2000s uh, with Lovey Smith's teams, it was the same thing, you know, it was, it was, and even, even on uh, the team Jim was on, you know, that did so well uh, in 2001, was it off the top of my head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, 2001. Uh, you know, same thing, great defense, and, and they ran the ball, and, and, and obviously Jim did his part of the quarterback position.
0: Well, I agree with you, Dan, because t- to me, that formula wins, and it still wins today. It's the style of play. and they can- You can be a wide-open offense. I mean, just look at Philadelphia. They ran themselves to the playoffs since Week 8. They're averaging 175 yards a game uh, with a young quarterback in Jalen Hurts, or I'd, I'd say it even about Arizona. Everybody thinks Arizona is just some empty, wide-open offense. James Conner has 18 touchdowns. I mean, they're top 10 in terms of their style of play in, in, in running the football. And how, how did that get lost? Cause I, I don't forget like, the 49ers. Yeah, 49ers are, are, are a great example as well. Um, but, you know, how do you think that gets lost? Because that style of play has always been such a big part of Chicago.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, the, the uh, Eagles, I think, were a team, too, that you know they, their season was kind of teetering on the brink before they figured it out that, hey, we've got to change things, and we've got to run the ball. Uh, You know, another team, too, that has been really following this blueprint all along is the Tennessee Titans, and they continue to follow it to a degree even after losing their MVP candidate in Derrick Henry. So, you know, I know a lot of people think, well, you know, in this era you can't win that way. It's, you know, meatball, football. You know, I say baloney. I say, you know, you, you can and you do, and football will always be football, and you can always win by punching someone in the mouth. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think the Bears can move towards that kind of football again uh, if they consider it in who they're hiring and, and the types of philosophies that uh, both the general manager and the, and the head coach espouse.
2: You know, Dan, you think about a team. You think about a coach like Andy Reid. Andy Reid's a former offensive tackle in his college days, and they, they threw the ball a lot. Yeah, but he's almost reluctant to run the ball nowadays. So, if you're in, in the interview room looking at all these candidates that are coming at you, and guys ask, "Oh, you know, how you know they, they're they're less." they're more reluctant to want to run the ball when you look at a guy like Justin and maybe what Darnell and Cole Komet and the other guys that you're going to bring aboard can offer you. So are you kind of putting some restraints on that thought process immediately? And you do want to be successful with the running game?
3: Well, look, if Andy Reid's available, go hire him. I'd say, <laughs> you know, we'll figure out the rest later. I don't think Andy Reid's available. You know, uh, you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach, probably, and someone who's really special and who's figured out a way to do it. Um, you know, but I think um, otherwise, you have to you have to do maybe look at different ways of doing it. You know, I think if you do have a big physical offense that runs power O, and you you know you have uh, a philosophy in place that you know you're going to run the ball and you're going to out physical opponents. Well, I think Justin Fields becomes better then. I think the pressure's off him. I think Darnell Mooney becomes more effective uh, because he gets less attention. Cole Komet, you know, you see everything he can do. Uh, so, you know, I, I think um, a good running game, I and mean, that's, that's the, the beauty of a running game, right? It benefits every other aspect of your team, including uh, maybe most importantly your defense because, uh, you know, it... it Keeps it off the field and keeps it fresh and, and lively. And, um, you know, it, it reduces turnovers. I mean, that was a problem. The Bears were this last year, they were, you know, in, in the takeaway column, they were on the wrong end of it. And, you know, if they ran the ball better, they'd probably be more apt to be on the right end of it, even though their defense didn't produce enough of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Dan, because you know, we've seen a lot of you know first-time head coaches take it on the chin. Joe Judge, obviously Matt. You look at David Culley today, uh, what happened? out there's he's a seasoned coach, obviously. When you look at Culley, but you know, from what I understand, Nick Casario was in the booth every weekend, managing every situation, even with Culley uh, as a head coach. How do you see it for the Bears? Is it a, is it a traditional style where the GM hires the coach, and do you expect it to be a seasoned or a a seasoned head coach, let's just put it that way, whether it's a, you know, a Billy O'Brien or somebody who's kind of been there, done that uh, from that standpoint.
3: Yeah, well, they're obviously uh, talking to some coaches who have experience, who've, you know, had previous head coaching jobs. And, you know, I think that's always a good thing. I mean, uh, they're casting a wide net in the search, and you can't go wrong with talking to as many people as possible. You know, I, I think it's easy to identify a lot of candidates who could be good. The hard part is figuring out which of them have the traits that would translate into being a great leader and being a, a great head coach. And, you know, it's easier sometimes uh, to know those traits or to at least uh, identify them in someone who has done it before as a head coach. You know, you've seen the body of work. For Dan Quinn, and then he could come in and tell you, well, how would you, you know, Dan, how would you be different from what you were last time? What did you learn? Or Jim Harbaugh, you know, who's uh, and not only has he been a head coach, but he's been a very successful head coach at every level he's been at. So you know, you have. Um, how about Doug Peterson? You well, know, Doug Peterson, obviously, I mean, you know, he's got to be at the top of almost any list as a guy who's won a Super Bowl and you know, out coached. Uh, maybe the greatest coach of all time in that game. So, um, you know, I, I think, um, to me, that's, that's a great benefit because the more you could know about a head coaching candidate, the better off you are. You know, it, it's kind of like sometimes when you fall in love with the backup quarterback, you know, everyone's cheering for him and wanting him to play, and then... Once they see him play, they start booing him because now you found out why he was on the bench. Sometimes it's that way with with a coaching candidate, too. You know, he looks great when he's the offensive coordinator or the whatever he is, you know, assistant coach. But once he gets that chance, you start to see uh, some of the things that maybe he lacked or some of the things that separate him from some of the other really good head coaches in the league.
1: Final moments here with Dan Pompey from The Athletic, our pro football writer, with Tom Thayer, Jim Miller, Jeff Jonihek, here on Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy with our producer, Sean Anderson. All right, so this is a big time of year for you as well with the Hall of Fame. You're on the committee, uh, and Devin Hester is somebody you'll be uh, presenting. Uh, How how are you preparing for this, and uh, what do you think his chances are as a first ballot Hall of Famer? He's one of the final 15.
3: Yeah, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, this past week who uh, have opposed him and I always like to get their perspective what it was like and one of the things that I really came away with was that uh, you know Hester didn't just change games he changed the game because he forced opponents to adjust to him in a way that very few players in NFL history did. Um, you know, he came in the first two two uh, years of his career, he was on fire, scored uh, five return touchdowns as a rookie to set a record. Then he broke that record the next year with six, and then he fell off the table. Uh, you know, there were a couple reasons for that. One, obviously, was that teams refused to kick to him anymore. The other was, you know, for a couple years there, he was uh, mostly a, a wide receiver and not so much a, a return guy anymore. But um, he got back to that then. And, and t- teams still refuse to kick to him. Uh, one of the things I asked Devin about, is I said, You know, you scored 20 return touchdowns in your career. I said, How many do you think you, you would have scored if people had kept, kept, kept kicking to you? And he said, I think I would have scored over 40. The interesting <laughs> thing about so here, here how about that?
1: That's a crazy notion, but you know what? It, it, he believes this kind of stuff, no question. It,
3: I believe it too. How about yeah. this, the, the 20 that he scored are 30% more than any other return guy. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's an interesting thing. So I looked at like, uh, well, what, how many more touchdown passes did Tom Brady throw than the next quarterback? O- only 9% more. Emmitt Smith, I think it was 12% more than the next leading rusher. So I mean, he was, he was not only the greatest return man ever, but the greatest by a, a wide margin. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I love these discussions, Dan, because I brought that up, the things you're talking about. I think you break a, a great case about teams not kicking to him Right away, somebody's going to call up and mention Brian Mitchell, who is tremendous. Everybody knows Brian Mitchell was, was tremendous with what he's done. He had more years than, than Devin Hester, but like you said, the, the impact, and he was productive. He's got more punt return yardage. He's got more kick return yardage, but the touchdowns are still there for Devin. It, it's like ridiculous when it comes to the yes he insurance. is ridiculous yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> who, but now who you touch would on that something because, like that because i mean yeah. your job is such a difficult job because right away you know people like right away people want to refute that oh, brian mitchell should be in before hester you know how how do you personally deal with stuff like that when you you hear that, those type of things
3: well, you know, um, Brian Mitchell was, if you were, if you were basing a, a guy uh, guy's Hall of Fame credentials on, you know, longevity and, you know, contributions over time, you'd say, oh, Brian Mitchell's the guy. But if you were basing it on a player who changed games, you'd, you'd say, well, it's definitely Hester. Hester yeah. scored one touchdown every 32.1 times he returned the ball. Mitchell scored one touchdown once for every 82.3 returns. Mm-hmm. You know, huge difference. Huge. Yep. You know, even Deion Sanders only scored one once every 40.7 returns. And, you know, I think if this, up, up to the point of Devin Hester, Deion was considered the greatest return man, if not Gale Sayers, who played a little different era and didn't do it as much. Um, but, you know, I don't think that, you know, if if you were a special teams coach, and I asked you, games on the line, we got to kick to to one guy. Would it? Would you rather kick to Brian Mitchell or Hester? And I asked that of thirty-two special teams coaches. Thirty-two of thirty-two would kick it to Brian Mitchell, guaranteed. <laughs>
2: Guys, the sad thing about this is Devin Hester may be the last returner that has a chance to go into the Hall of Fame because of what they're doing in college football and not letting the kid these kids return. It's just a, it's just an awful shame that they're taking a talent away from and one of the biggest game threats away uh, out of the game.
3: Well, and, and the whole punt game has changed too. I'll, I'll just give you one more stat. It sounds like you guys are on the way out, but uh, this year in the NFL there were two. Punt returns scored in the entire league by every returner. Devin Hester scored more punt returns than that alone in three seasons.
1: <laughs> That's good stuff. Dan, you always do your homework. You're, you're the best guy for the job. Good luck with that. I know you always enjoy that. You take it quite seriously, and it's a privilege. No question about it. Thanks for all your time, Dan.
3: All right, privileged to be with you guys, too.
1: Appreciate it. Jeff Joniak, top there. Jim Miller back with uh, more as we, we take a look at the Bears season, and I'm going to put these guys uh, on the firing line here with their awards for the Bears for 2021, albeit a, a season that didn't go as planned, or what everyone we will look at the uh, with, what, what good things happen here in 2021 for the Bears on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. This segment of Bears All Access brought to you by CDW. People will get it. Jeff Joniak top there. And our special guest, Jim Miller from Sirius XM NFL Radio's Moving the Chains with Pat Kerwin. All right, guys, we're going to go uh, quick hitters here. I'm going to start with Jim. Uh, we're going to do uh, Players of the Year for each of the three phases and some other awards. Player of the Year offensively, uh, Players of the Year. Give me your top three Offensive Players of the Year for the Bears. A top three,
0: David Montgomery. Obviously, Mooney would, would be another one. Um and you want to you know I because I don't want to anoint Justin Fields uh, yet. I'm going to say Khalil Herbert. I like what I saw from Khalil Herbert when he had an opportunity.
1: Tom, I, I really will. Tom, where are you going?
2: Oh, my gosh. I'm completely different. I'm going to go to Jason Peters, number one. You look at where he came aboard and what would have been the situation if he didn't come up and step up to the plate and play the way he did. Um, I I think the Bears would have been in in the worse up position, and I like Dave Montgomery. Huge fan of David, first, second, and third down, and can't wait to see more of him. And I do think he's being complimented by Khalil Herbert, but it's a nice kind of uh one one a punch there. And you know I I have I, I need to see continuous and higher development from Cole Komet because he has high expectations on him from where he was drafted and what guys like Kittle are doing in the NFL. And so somewhere in between Kelsey and Kittle, we need to fit in Cole Komet.
1: All right. I I went uh, Mooney, Montgomery, and Jason Peters as well. Defensively, Jim, where are you at? Three guys. Uh,
0: Definitely Roquan Smith. You're you're definitely going uh, Robert Quinn. I like what I saw late in the year from – uh, well, you'd probably want to say Jalen Johnson, but I, I like what I saw from Travis Gibson later in the year. I, I really did.
1: Tom?
2: Uh, I'm going Alec Ogletree, number one, kind of like my Jason Peter candidate from offense came in here. And if he didn't come up and step up to the plate and started the interior linebacker position, they would have had nobody. Number two, Jalen Johnson. Because if you're going to have any consideration in front of your name, if you're going to have some type of number attached to it, you got to perform, and I think hopefully the best is yet to come from him. And I know it's not a – fun position to look at and i'm not ignoring roquan smith because there's different categories for these things i need to see what kairos tonga can bring to this defensive line if the new defensive coordinator is going to run at the consistent that position he needs to be a big player in the in the inside
1: so you're looking more future okay i'm going now roquan robert quinn for sure and jalen johnson special teams jim
0: um, well, I thought Herbert obviously did a job, good job early, but you got to go with Jakeem Grant. I thought he had instant impact when the Bears made that trade and acquired him, so I'm, I'm going to go with Jakeem Grant. Tom?
2: I'm going Cairo. Best kicker in the league and the hardest stadium in the league, and the points are at a premium for the Bears this year. Every one of his kicks mattered.
1: Yeah, and Cairo now the uh, number one in uh, accuracy in Soldier Field. I'm going Damian Williams, Jakeem Grant, and Cairo Santos. Williams a real find on special teams. Uh, Quickly, your comeback player of the year, Jim. It's going to be Robert Quinn. You know, he's
0: hurting mentally, comes back, and is the player I thought he was comeback player of the year. I considered him for the league comeback player of the year. I know Dak Prescott is probably going to get it, but I like what
1: Quinn did mentally.
2: I'm going to go Quinn also. It's hard to ignore what he's accomplished.
1: No-brainer. What a year. 18 sacks. We have more rewards and final comments coming up next here on Bears All Access. Brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. All right, our final moments here on Bears All Access. Jeff Joniak, Tom there, and Jim Hunter from SiriusXM NFL Radio. I don't know why I'm laughing, but I think of Jim, and I, you know you're one of the funniest guys I know. Why? Well, I- There's no question. Glad you're back with us, buddy.
0: Well, good to be with you. Thank you, know, you. You are ridiculous, Jeff. A yeah, you know little that. bit. A little <laughs> bit. All right.
1: Let's continue our awards. You already touched on it, you guys, but uh, I'm just gonna just go down a list. Jim, uh, rookie of the year. Rookie
0: of the year. I'm gonna go Khalil Herbert. Okay. I love what he did stepping in for for David Montgomery.
1: Tom,
2: I'm going Justin. How could you not? Most high profile position on the team, and we have super high expectations for his future.
1: I did go with Herbert as well. Really did a nice job on special teams. And when he was in there to lead the NFC those four weeks in rushing. MVP, I, I can't imagine this is in unanimous, Jim.
0: Roquan, absolutely. Yep. Guy's a heat-sinking missile, man. I Tom? love watching him play.
1: Yeah, I've got to go Roquan also. Yeah, 100%. Uh, fourth in the league in tackles, and a uh, he emerged so significantly as a leader. Uh, you know, and I, You know, when I did a feature with him, I said, Roquan, you know you're the leader of this team right now. He goes, I'm one of. No, you're the guy until further notice. Justin, eventually, that that will be his mantle, uh, you know, if all goes well. All right, Jim, I, I don't know if you uh, c- can remember all these plays because you're so busy. Yeah. Uh, offensive play of the year. Do you have one?
0: It's got to be field's run versus San Francisco. Yeah, that's Rever- mine too. Yeah, reverses field, uh, and then, you know, takes it into score. My other one offensively. It'd be Demir Bird out in uh, Seattle, Mm -hmm. you know, getting the two point catch. And and for defense, it's got to be when Robert Quinn broke a.
1: Hey, hey, hold on now. You got to get that. We're doing one at a
0: time. We got time.
1: (laughs) Give Tom a chance. Offensive play of the year. Offensive play of the year.
2: I'm going Mooney's touchdown catch against the Pittsburgh Steelers because it wasn't a broken play like Justin's run. It was more of a design play where Justin never lost sight of receivers downfield. Even though he was getting ready to scramble outside the pocket and run, he readjusted the grip on his ball and threw it to Mooney for a touchdown. So those are the types of plays that – we want to see out of those two young guys for a long time to come.
1: Yes, because he thinks big play. He thinks downfield all the time. Yeah, that, that scramble, fourth and one to the 49ers, 21, and you're down 23-16. It's week eight, fourth quarter. Play clock at two, and he makes the, the magical move. Defensive player of the year, Jim.
0: Yeah, I'm going with Quinn's uh, breaking Richard Dent's record. It's unbelievable for for him to do that, like I said, where he's been and what he was able to accomplish. And he did it in 16. There will be no asterisk. Uh, next to his name so good for Robert Quinn
2: Tommy I I went Jalen's pick against Cincinnati because I was thinking oh my god it's so early in the season he's picking off Joe Burrow this is going to be things that are going to be yet to come throughout this whole season so I have to draw back to find that one interception by Jalen but I need a lot more like it next year
1: yeah, I was torn because I, the sack of Aaron Rodgers uh, that uh, really brought into the uh, the Spider Man uh, recognition of uh, of Robert Quinn w- was mine. One uh, A is Roquan's pick six of Joe Burrow because I want I think he's capable of those kind of plays because of his ability to cover. But uh, that that kind of signal Robert Quinn uh, is, is just finding any relentless way to get to the quarterback you possibly can. I would imagine a special teams player of the year is a slam dunk, Jim. What do you got?
0: Uh, well, you guys talked about the the kicker earlier. That's why this is where I was going to go. Santos and how I mean, the guy. What was he at one point? Thirty six in a row. It was ridiculous uh, how well he played. So, like you said, and points were at a premium. And so, I am going to go Santos there,
1: Tommy.
2: Uh, you know, it's hard to ignore Jakeem Grant's 97 yard punt return, but didn't they get an, um, uh, a punt return fumble and the errors are in the, Arizona, in the, yeah, the DHC? Yeah, DHC, the scoop yeah. and score. Yes, yeah, yes, that was yes. pretty
1: as well. And you'd love your special teams unit to be as nasty and as tough as the rest of your team to create those kind of kind of plays, but uh, that Jakeem play was something else. Uh, probably put him in the Pro Bowl because, as uh, Dan Pompey told us, just uh, two punt return touchdowns period so that brings us to uh nfl wildcard weekend jim quick quick sneak peeks in our final two minutes here vegas cincinnati a pair of 10-1 teams followed by new england and buffalo on saturday
0: yeah i think both cincinnati and buffalo are under a lot of pressure that they got to perform i still think that they will come out on top uh, for the Saturday matchup so I I like Buffalo and what they're doing in in Cincinnati I think uh, Josh Allen if he goes he's he's tough to handle man that guy's like a wild bronco I mean he
3: can
2: get on a roll now I'm going Cincinnati New England I think New England is going to have the first upset of the playoffs I'm pulling for Buffalo but I think New England will win
1: all right we only have 30 seconds so Philly Tampa San Francisco Dallas Pittsburgh KC Jim
0: Tampa, San Francisco, and Kansas City.
1: And, Tom, we only have time for you to pick same Monday thing. night. No, How about Arizona and the Rams on Monday night?
2: Air, I'm, oh, my God. I'm, That's pulling a tough
1: one. I'm pulling for Arizona.
2: I'm pulling for Arizona.
0: I'm going
1: Arizona, too. Too many
0: picks by Stafford down the stretch.
1: Thanks, boys. It was fun to be back together. Jim Miller from SiriusXM NFL Radio. Thanks to Dan Pompey from The Athletic and most of all to you for listening. For Tom Thayer, I'm Jeff Joniak. Thanks, Sean Anderson, Jordan Treadup, and Dan Barilli. Mark Rohde is next. This has been Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.